love, I love your logo. <laughs> <laughs> Stitch Duran, you absolute legend. Welcome to the Granite Zero podcast. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Uh, no, come on, man. Thanks for you and uh, cheers to you, bro. It's always a pleasure. I was saying earlier, I love your logo. It's pretty ass. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, I, I can't even remember who designed it for me, but there was yeah. a, a guy that did um, a few logos for Brendan Sharp at the Fighter and the Kid. He did a few of their logos. So I thought, well, I might as well ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So yeah, he popped it up for me. And I was like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's mad because... I'm, I'm probably the least artistic person ever, but I have these images in my head and I'm like, this is what I like. Can you draw it? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Like, hey, I, uh, I a lot of my creative uh, ideas have come through those type of visions. You yeah. Know? And, and when I made my chaos, well, I uh, actually, I was flying back from London with uh, the UFC and Kenny Florian and getting the water bottle worth of, wait for the plane and I go like this and see how it's contoured. Yeah, well, I yeah. went home and got some clay the next day and made a model and made the prototype and now I got the kale swell up there. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. So yeah, yeah keep doing what you're doing, man. Crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. One thing I learned today, Stitch, that I, I didn't actually know. Like I've, I've, I'm a huge uh, fight fan, so I, I love all the work that you do within the within in and out of the ring. I only learned today you, you were in the Air Force. I was. Changed my whole life. So something we have in common. <laughs> yeah, oh, you too. I was at well, I was in the Royal Air Force for five and a half years. Oh, uh, what yeah. years? Yeah, you're younger than me, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot, a, no disrespect, but a lot younger. But <laughs> yeah. no, no, that's a good thing. Hey, hey, man, if you get to be at my age, you're you're blessed. You know that's uh, yeah. I, I grew up as a as a farm worker. Yeah. And it's a real small town, born and raised in a, what they call migrant camps, where yeah. we lived in housing supplied by the people that uh, had the crops. And mm. I loved playing American baseball. So when I got out of high school, I joined, I walked into a college and started practicing with them, but I didn't have a car. So I uh, joined the military. In 1972, I joined the, the Air Force. And uh, I always told myself if I ever went there to the Orient, uh, I would like to study the martial arts. And at that time, Bruce Lee was real big. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so they put, they stationed me in a place called Thailand, 1972, oh. young kid, didn't know what the hell it was. Uh, <laughs> saw my first Muay Thai fight, and from there, started hooked. my whole career. Hooked, hooked. Yeah, because I, I assumed that you would have you started uh, from, from boxing, but obviously being stationed in Thailand, there's only one route you're going to go down in Thailand. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, you know, ironically, at the base, I was at Urupao. Uh, at the base we were at for the GIs, they had, on the base, they had Taekwondo. Oh, yeah. Well, Taekwondo, Thailand, to me, sounds like the same shit, right? What do I know? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so for the first three months, we started training, and, and the <laughs> Koreans left, and the Thais took over the program, and they still kept the Taekwondo thing, but they kind of transitioned us into a lot of the Muay Thai system. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so I got the benefit of both. Well, that, that's what you got to do, isn't it? Especially, uh, well, nowadays, especially, like you, you, you've got to master several different aspects of fighting, I believe. Um, yeah, my, my, my first love was boxing in terms of uh, fight sports. Um, but yeah, definitely boxing. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you did you do much um, fighting at the start, or? or... You know, I uh, kickboxing was about this big in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, it, it was it was it literally in its infancy stage, and and that wasn't my goal anyway. I had a eight to five job, I had a free company car every three years. I got a new car and. You know, Ford LTD, I look like a gangster, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was an eight to five job, a great job. And, but no, you know, so I, uh, I remember when, when I got out of the military, I was stay, I lived in Oakland and I, I went into a Taekwondo school or a class at, at the college because it was free. Yeah. Uh, but I went in as a white belt and kind of whooped the shit out of everybody. <laughs> and, uh, but no, that was, uh, it, it was just, is infinite stages. Joe Lewis, Bill Superfoot Wallace. That was way back, but they were kind of like in the South. So I was I was out of that element, and uh, yeah. but I always had kickboxing in my mind. And when I got to Oakland, that's why I got into boxing to improve my hands. And mm-hmm. um, and from there, I started working with uh, amateur fighters, boxers, and uh, I moved up to the suburbs and I opened up my school of kickboxing, ASK, uh, the American School of Kickboxing, with a credit card. Show you how crazy I was. Paid for the, uh, <laughs> I paid for the carpets, for the mirrors, for the you know the equipment, and and from there people had already known me as a trainer, and uh, so from there it just kept going forward and forward, and you know I worked with guys like Javier Mendez from AKA. Uh, he yes, was a fighter, yeah, yeah. and and I've you know worked with him many times, and uh, so yeah, that's how I got started. Steve Fossum, they just passed away. Uh, he was the president of uh, IKF. Uh, I promoted the first fights on, on his ledger. So got part of that history. That is some history to have as well. Yeah. I mean, like, like I, as you said, like kickboxing was never the, the biggest sport. I, I believe it's not exactly humongous now, especially over here in the UK and not so much in, in America. But, you know, abroad, like Holland and, and obviously further east you go, it's, it's a, a lot bigger and... It's crazy how different sports sort of go on the up, but so setting out as a as a coach was that was that a sort of a goal that you had, or did you want to want to be a fighter first, or was it I prefer coaching? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, fighting was really not even in. I mean, I knew nothing about it, bro. To be honest with you, I, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in a town of fifteen hundred people, all Mexican farm workers, so I really wasn't attuned to the world, the nature of the world. Yeah, yeah, I was just glad to have studied the martial arts, and you know, I never let my family know that I, that whole year I trained, and I <laughs> I got back and and at home, and my my younger brother, uh, he's holding a baseball mitt, and I do a spin kick, and I kind of knock it <laughs> off him, and it kind of freaked him out, and you know, they got me against the wall, I put my leg all the way up against the wall, and you know, so I came back as a different person. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and they didn't know that, but no, that was never, you know, it was never something that it was too young and not even in my, in, in my ideas. I did join a couple of karate tournaments uh, when I got back to the States and, and, and whooped the crap out of everybody, you know, <laughs> with just my legs. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and one guy said, cause I guess it's a point system. And mm. one guy told me that I hit too hard and, and I just couldn't understand that, you know? So nah, yeah. you know, but that's how I got started. And, you know, I, I felt the pains. I felt the getting cracked. I felt, you know, yeah. uh, the, the bone to bone, uh checks yeah, and all that so i've gone through all those elements and that's why i understand a lot of these fighters yeah i was gonna say that that's gonna really help 
in terms of becoming a coach and obviously becoming the the great cut man that you are now is the fact that you've been there and you've done it you you know what it's like you know exactly what the fighters want to do especially the top level fighters obviously they're not going to want to quit I know a I know a a handful of um, fighters from the UK now, the likes of Mason Jones and Jack Shaw, and those guys throw throw down, and it's like, well, sometimes someone's got to let them know that you you need to chill out a little bit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's got to be. Um, but having that, you know, uh, the the fact that you've been through it, that's got that's got to really help with guiding the fighters especially training wise yeah 100 percent, bro you know when when you know the sacrifices that they make and i was just at the may with the gym yesterday and i'm talking to some fans that came in i said you know everybody in this gym their whole desire is to become a world champion mm. but everybody in this gym you probably won't find one guy that's going to be a world champion those are the the realities of the game right yeah. and i said and then i told them i said and then when it comes to making an economic living, all these guys, it's going to be a hard life for them. You know, I interviewed Mike Tyson a week before he got his tattoo. And I said, Mike, I said, every fighter has that one little thing that nobody has that makes them special to be a fighter. What's that one little thing I asked him? Very simply, Mike Tyson says, take the pain. You got to take the pain. And as I left, I thought, man, he's right because you take a pain in in training take pain in the fights, you take pain with your family, you take pain financially, you know, it's it's a dream for them to be a world champion and the sacrifices they get to get there are astronomical. You know, yeah, I yeah, worked yeah. with Caleb Plant, he uh, he knocked out uh, Anthony Durrell cold in yeah, that was, Saturday, right? That was, a, that was a sweet knockout. Cold, cold knockout. Uh, but same thing with him, I was telling him, because he grew up, yeah, basically at the same level as me. He grew up in a trailer in Tennessee and, you know, I don't think they had stairs going up to the door and, you know, so he's had that life and now he's making plenty of money. And, and I told him, I said, you know, I'm so proud of you that you've gotten to this goal and you've kept your same character. So he's the same guy that he was when he was broke. He just, now he's worth a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you tend to find that, that you tend, especially in fight sports, that, the elite of the elite tend to come from harder upbringings because they've had to, because they've had to work at that. They've, they've already had a shit upbringing. They've already had a shit start to life. So there's not much more that can knock them down. So they go into these boxing gyms, they get beaten down, but they just don't give in. And like the great Mike Tyson said, he's pain. Got to go through the pain. Yeah. I remember I interviewed uh, uh, Jorge Masvidal one-time UFC fighter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> he said to the point, you know, that to understand these guys, he says, yeah, man, I am in the gym and I get the shit beat out of me in sparring. I said, well, what did you do? You know, he said, man, when I got home, I'm in the shower and I start crying. You mm-hmm. know, and and you could understand that. You yeah. know, because he was so defeated, not only physically, but mentally. And yeah. I said, well, what came out of that? He goes, I went back the next day to redeem myself, you know? So, uh, you know, that's the mentality of these guys, you Definitely. know, and 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 that's why I got to love these guys and that's what's a pleasure working with them. Yeah, definitely. And I, I find it a great 
I find it fascinating, especially from my point of view, sitting in in my shed as I do now, and I, I get to talk to some of these elite fighters, the likes of Brad Pickett, Jack Shaw, Liz Carmouche recently, who's obviously yeah. a world champion. And I'm as a, as a as a former military man that has suffered with a bit of mental health issues that I have done. I love going into the mind of these elite fighters because there's nothing there's nothing more lonely than than the fight sport because you do it yourself you, yes yes you've got your team around you you've got fantastic people around you but at the end of the day you're in the, the ring or the octagon and it's you versus someone else if you lose then you tend to find a lot of people disappear in your life yes and when you win you've got the highs of the win which you know i've had a, a small smidgen of that i did a a, a local boxing event probably five years ago now which I won and I never, I never had the high that I did when, after I've won that, I was like, Oh God, I'm going to do another one. And my wife was like, don't do another one. There's, yeah. it's like, there's no need. It's like you're 35 years old. There's no need to be boxing when you don't need to. It's like, yeah, you got it. Kind of got a point. And I remember a few episodes ago, I had Mason Jones on after his latest loss in the UFC and I was interviewing him and I was like, you're not the same fighter that I spoke to when you won your double championship from Cage Warriors. There's, you've had a couple of losses now and I, you can see that there's a, like a bit of a mental sort of fracture in his mind. Yes. Whether it's a little bit of doubt creeping in or, or what, but it's, you, can, you can definitely see it. And I find it fascinating getting into their mind. Yeah, it's a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you listen to this comment that uh, that I received. Well, you know, I just, I don't know if you know, but I just finished filming Creed 3 and yesterday the trailer came out. Yes, so it did. And I got very excited. Yeah, it's a <laughs> great, great movie. But anyway, during the movie, Michael B. Jordan relied on me on authenticity. So he asked me, uh, they were giving away the WBC belt. So he came up to me and says, Stitch, who would be the one to give away a WBC belt? So I explained to him the history. It's, it was created by Jose Suleiman from Mexico City. It's the most prestigious belt out there. Should be given away by a Mexican if you have one. Well, bro, we're filming, filming, filming in Atlanta and it's 53% black and the rest are white. And there's one Mexican on the other side. They're all extras, right? The yeah, other yeah. side of the ring. And I go speak to him and he was in the Air Force, right? So he's about my age. And I said, well, see that guy? Get him, right? So anyway, going fast forward, uh, I'm in Dallas when Sp Errol Spence fights uh, your dentist, Ugas. I'm working with Ugas. Mm. And I see Mauricio Suleiman, the son. And I explained to him how we represented the belt at its highest level. <clears throat> well, I guess you probably know that I've worked with Vladimir and Vitaly Klitschko for like eight yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and you understand that the situation that they're in yep. right now in, in Russia. Crazy situation. So, oh, it breaks my heart, man. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'll let you listen. He sent this picture to Vladimir and you're talking about how these fighters feel. I want to let, let you listen to what Vladimir said uh, on our relationship. And yeah, it yeah. Goes like this. Listen to this, bro. My two favorite men, especially Stitch, with whom I spent so much time talking and he actually saved my career. On a lot of different stages. Uh, if Stitch wouldn't be in my corner, I would not make the record of 12 years being a champion. 
So um, that's uh, so great to see you both. And Stitch is the man. Powerful. Wow. Yeah, powerful. It, it almost brought tears to my eyes. And every time I listen to it, you know, but we had that relationship together. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, uh, I'll give you another. What leads to a lot of that is when Vladimir fought Anthony Joshua, Wembley Stadium, right? I, I, uh, I didn't get there till Thursday night. My daughter Carla had gotten married uh, Wednesday in Crete and Thursday I flew to LA or to London. Uh, so I see him at the weigh-ins, him and Vitelli. And we talk about the game plan and all that. And finally at the end, I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, look, man, don't worry about nothing tomorrow. I'll take care of you like you're my son. Because I know, I leave. I left yeah. it at that. But I know the night before, these guys can't sleep. Yeah, Man, bro, I'm putting the Vaseline on him right before Michael Buffer does the announcements. 90,000 people at Wembley yeah. Stadium, and millions around the world, and he's about this far away. And he looks at me and says, you could call me son. Man, that gave me chills right from the get-go. Yeah. Months later, I, I, well, he called me after the week after, hey, daddy, you know, we talked. <laughs> months later, Months later, I see him in Germany. And I said, Vladimir, that one moment, why? And he says, Stitch, there's very few people I trust in my life. Uh, you are one of them. That's... That, that is obviously probably the biggest compliment you could get, especially with the, the, the fighters that you've helped throughout the, the career within the UFC and boxing and, and whatnot. And it's, it's amazing to, to watch as an outsider looking in at how calm the fighters are when they're with you. You can see them with others and they're a bit more yeah. jittery and things like that. It's, it's as though you have a, a unique bond with, with the different fighters that you've got. You're wrapping their hands and I've never seen fighters so calm when they're sat in front of you. And it's, it's, it's how, how do you, how do you get the rapport like that? Is it just through the years of experience that you've had or yeah, is it yeah, just, I, I, or is it yeah. just that, that you're, uh, just a calming person. Well, well both. Yeah, I am. You know, that's, 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 that's one of the key elements of being a good cut man is, is keeping your composure, right? But I understand these guys. And, and you're right, when I'm wrapping their hands, it's between him and I, hmm. right? And, and like Tyson Fury, right? You know, it, you, well, you know that, but you talk to him and when I first met him, I said, look, I'm going to take care of you like you're my son. And keep ice on you every round and you know this and that and uh, when he beat uh, uh, a man uh, Deontay Wilder uh, we're in the dressing room and he's in his shorts and I'm packed up and ready to go and I'm saying goodbye and gives me a kiss on the cheek and says Stitch I love you you know so thanks for keeping ice on me but those moments that I have with him one on one because I sat down with Tyson I said look man here's what we're going to do boom 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 and don't worry about nothing you just go out there and kick ass so I, I put that in their mind. And, and that's not something that you go to a school to learn. You have to be in the trenches to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what sort of led you down the, the path of becoming a cut man? Well, you know, I had my school of kickboxing. And uh, it was ironic because uh, I, I was a trainer first before I was a yeah, kickboxer. Yeah, yeah. That's why even when I moved to Vegas, I didn't come to be, I've been here 28 years, but I didn't come to be a trainer because I thought all the great trainers in the world were here. But yeah. I could do what they would do, right? But uh, being a cut man was, I when I had my school of kickboxing and working with a, a lot of good fighters, uh, that's one of the projects I had to learn to do to 
encompass everything economically, but then I wanted to learn all aspects of the game, right? And uh, at that time, it was only boxing. And the guys in boxing, their mentality is different than the young generation of cut men. Now, their mentality was, uh, you know, well, I'll give you an example. So I go to a boxing event and the Bone Crusher Smith is fighting Marvis Frazier, Joe Frazier's son. Mm. And this guy does a good job in the cuts, uh, the fight before that. So I go up to him and I say, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm trying to learn to be a cut man. Can you tell me what you did? He says, fuck you. I'm taking this to my grave and you gotta learn like me. And he walked away. Wow. And I thought, man, I felt about this big, but mm. I said, I'm never gonna be like that man. And uh, I've told this interview hundreds of times and never thrown his name out. Uh, but now I go back with Andre Ward. Andre Ward's a you know, super middleweight champ. And we're both from Oakland, the, the Bay Area. And I go back and he forgot about it. It's been years and years, right? Yeah, he yeah. just encouraged me not to be like that. Well, he forgot about it, but now him and his son, that my status has grown, now he wanted to take a picture with me. So I yeah. put, put my arms around him and his son. I said, yep, I got you. You know, you just inspired me. Uh, but yeah, that, um, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked the challenge of one-on-one, you know, being with these guys and then understanding the program and and basically fighter safety. So my whole legacy is, is you know, outside of, you know, you're a legend cut man, is that I brought safety to the game. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll let you know also that, and you break it down, I don't think anybody's ever mentioned it, but all of our combat sports, bare knuckle fights, kickboxing, boxing, MMA, none of us as trainers or cut men have to be certified. All it takes, really? is, a license. All it takes is a license and you're a pro. And that's why there's so many mistakes yeah. uh, that are going on. And you would have thought fair. that would have been regulated. Like you, you have to- you have At to least sit some kind of course. Yeah, you have to sit some sort of medical sort of something, you know. Yeah. So, like, yeah. so, so nobody's ever brought that up. And, and I'm looking, and there's so many, so many, so many mistakes that these trainers and cut men do uh, in, in part of working with fighters. And it's not fair to the fighters. Yeah, of course. And especially if between rounds, that, it's your job to try and settle them, making sure that well, obviously the cuts and bruising is is limited as best you can and and yeah it's their safety if they don't know what the fuck they're doing yeah the fight is going to go out there and it will get 10 times worse potentially i never knew that Steve. never yeah, knew that. no see i'm i'm educating you none of us have to be certified and i um matter of fact i was talking to Salah. he's one of the great cuban trainers that works with a lot of fighters in vegas and he saw this fight of this guy that uh he got cut and the coach's son, which is a young kid, maybe 19 years old, was a guy that was working on the cut and he did such a horrible job that uh, Silas was telling me that the commentators were saying, man, you ought to go to one of Stitch Duran's seminars because you're doing everything <laughs> yeah. wrong, right? And, uh, but that's, it, to me, it just, it irritates me to see how many guys are not, don't know what they're doing. Good example, and you could ask some of these cut men as, as you go down the road, I talked to Keith Hunter, one of these young upcoming fighters in Vegas, trying to educate. I said, Keith, I said, who's your cut man? Well, I really don't have one. Yeah, okay, well, let me give you some advice when you're looking for cut men. Ask them what medications they use and ask them what the medications do, all right? So for instance, and I'll ask you, you know, as a cut man, let's say you're a cut man. Yeah, so yeah. the adrenaline chloride 11000 is a basic medication we use throughout the world. 
Uh, do you know what the function of that is? I'm asking you as a government, right? So what would what what does the adrenaline chloride one one thousand do in in a cut? Do you know, I, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, and I'm going to say that it's going to actually cause it to get worse if you put that into a cut. But I'm probably completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, okay, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a good example. I'm All not right. a good example, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So anyway, but here's what I tell them. The adrenaline chloride that we put on the swab and we put on yeah, the yeah. cut, it's a vessel constrictor. And a lot of cut men will say, oh, yeah, well, it stops the bleeding. Yeah, but how does it stop the bleeding? That's the question I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's a coagulant. Well, no, it's not a coagulant. It's a vessel constrictor. Yeah, so yeah. this young man, I'm telling him, these are the questions you need to ask to bring in a cut man. Yeah, that, that would also, make sense. Yeah. Yeah, very simple. But also, you get people like me going, I'm gonna put, I'm not gonna put any <laughs> yeah. of that on there. But 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 there's, <laughs> but there's people like you that are working these type of fights. Exactly. You know, so and I also tell them if the guy puts a swab here, or if he puts it here, get another cut man. Yeah. See, the, the, if you notice the new generation of cut men out there now, they wear gloves. And this is a system I put together when I was yeah. well, even before the UFC, when I had my school of kickboxing. But we all wear gloves. We all wear the wrist wrap. Where you I was going to say the wrap and you see the... Right, right. Yeah, yeah. With the Vaseline, you work off of this. Those are the techniques that I've been using for years and years. And, and when I was with the UFC, everybody uses that same technique. And now the new generation of cut men are doing that. So now you can take a notice and your listeners take notice and you'll see that, you know, there's, there's some good cut men out there. Yeah. Yeah. It, but like you said, it, it's got to be regulated. You can't just turn up and just be the fucking cut man. Cause you'll get an idiot like me yeah. going, but we'll put that. We won't use, we won't use the swab because that's going to make him bleed more. He's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. So, so between boxing and and we'll use the UFC as an example. What's what's the worst fight? We'll say the worst fight in terms of cuts and 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 things like that that you were that you had dealt with. To watch it could be probably the best fight for for a outsider to watch. But as a cut man, what what would you say would be the worst? Yeah, there's a lot of great fights that I work with. A lot of great cuts. But I'll tell you, the one, let's see if I can track it down. The one that, uh, to me, was uh, Jason Knight when he fought Art Lobo on the new Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, both the, well, Jason, I worked with Jason Knight. And I worked on him. And, and the, the two shows down the road, I looked at him. I saw him in the lobby. I said, hey, man, I counted 10 cuts because I took a picture of him. I, I, I counted 10 cuts, man. I said, you okay? He said, man, I had 12 of them. But these guys get, and then even Lobo, uh, he got gassed. So these guys, they get all cut. But major cuts, Cain Velasquez, when he knocked out uh, Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar had a big old gash right here. Uh, mm -hmm. Marvin Eastman, uh, man, I've worked tons of them, bro. You know. Yeah, I bet there's too many, too many. But for multiple cuts, uh, these guys, I'm going to see if I can find this picture just to let you see. Well, here's Marvin Eastman, watch. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, look at that one. Oh yes, that yeah. is. So that is so so with Marvin, I get up to him and I say psychology. I understand. You know, sometimes I got to figure out where these guys are mentally after they get knocked out, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm working on him, and 
I see, I hear the people looking at the, looking at Marvin's cut up on the big screens. And uh, I said, Marvin, I said, and to check, see how he's doing, I said, Marvin, this is the biggest fucking cut I've ever seen in my life. And he starts <laughs> smiling. But at that point, I knew that, uh, uh, I, I knew that, uh, that he was okay mentally. Look yeah, at yeah. Jason Knight, bro. Look at this. Yes, uh, yes. I remember, yeah. I remember seeing him after the fight. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was always in two minds of what I thought about the bare knuckle um, boxing. Obviously, as a combat sort of combat sport lover, I was like, yeah, that that could be really good. And then you see some of the injuries that these men and women are getting. It's like, ooh, like watching the UFC. Obviously, when when you get people like John Jones who throws elbows from fucking his elbows. I'm, I'm sure he can throw elbows taller than me. I'm, I, I swear. Um, but yeah, the, the slashing and the, and the things like that, it's like, I can, I can sort of handle that. But when it's the bare knuckles, I'm like, oh, it's like my brain is programmed to think, well, they should have gloves on. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's but You know, the, uh, the, the cuts with the bare knuckle fights opposed to the cuts in MMA, these are not as deep. You know, they're multiple, yeah, but they're yeah, not yeah. as deep, you know. And, uh, but nonetheless, a cut is a cut is a cut. Yeah. Right? And uh, so I understand. The, the, the one that always, like, pops up in my mind is the Diego Sanchez against BJ Penn, I believe. Somebody sent me a, somebody sent me a, a text a while back. I said, hey, man, where were you at with, uh, it was Joe Stevenson, right? Yes, yes, yeah. that's the one. What, that's what, the one. What, what, what were you with Joe Stevenson when he got cut by BJ Penn? His coach asked me that. He, yeah. says, he says, Joe Stevenson asked, where's Stitch? <laughs> well, hell, I was working with BJ Penn. <laughs> <laughs> but that fight was in London. I think it was at the O2 Arena, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, yeah. where's where, where, where Stitch? You know, but yeah, he got that big cut. Uh, yes. It, it would bleed like a In the pig. middle of his head, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Crazy. There's there's been some mad injuries that I've I've witnessed as a as a fan. Like um I can't remember her name now, but she got obviously clocked in the ear and then obviously through the cauliflower earring, her ear basically exploded. Ah uh, yes, yeah, I remember that. Uh I was yeah. like, that's crazy. How would Let's you deal with that's the one? How would you deal with that as a cut man? Like, don't worry, your ears <laughs> hanging off. But. Yeah, well, you know, in all fairness, when you look at cuts, you can look at them whether the cut is going to give the fighter a disadvantage, mm. all right? Whether you get blood in the eyes, whether the eyes close shut. Uh, a busted ear, though it's probably going to, you're going to lose some blood. It's going to suck a, a little bit. In the fight. Yeah, yeah. So let them fight. Let them fight. Unless yeah. it's split right over, you know, you got to make a judgment call. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, said, I've said similar things when I've been watching fights with, with my missus. Like, she's like, oh, he's cut, and it's like it'll be below the eye on the cheek yeah. or something like that, and it's coming down. She's like, that's a huge cut. Why, why are they still playing the final? I went, well, because he can see. Yeah. He can still fight. He can see. He's not wiping the blood out of his eye. It's not across his eyebrow or anything like that. He hasn't obviously, obviously used the swab to, you know, or not use the swab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're fired yeah I got, I got sacked I'm gonna tell her when I go in I got sacked as a cut man it's not happening yeah. <laughs> by stitch <laughs> yeah that's that's mad I just got sacked by stitch it's not having that hey, well, real quick now tell me about your uh, five years in the air force where were you stationed at so tell you what I'm gonna do let me just check the time 
Uh, we've got seven minutes, that's right. Because using Zoom, it gives you 40 minutes and then it cuts right. you out. So I might have to send you another link. Right. Uh, but we'll deal with that when we get there. So I was originally stationed in a small sort of area in, in the UK called Suffolk, um, surrounded by pig farms and, and turkey farms and things like that. Um, but when I passed through my training, I ended up going to Iraq the first time. Um, my little claim to fame on that, I was on the last ever foot patrol by a British force on out there. Uh, basically, the role I did in the Air Force, I was in the infantry. So um, similar to the Marines and the Paras, they're going to hate it if they listen to this back. They go, no, you're fucking not. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of explaining it, yeah, we, we did basically what the Marines do for the Navy. We did that for the Air Force. Yeah. If people hate that, go fuck yourself. Don't care. <laughs> um, well, but yeah. I, I was in the same position. I was oh. a cop in the Air Force, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, our job was we were the guys that carried the weapons, right? And Yeah, uh, exactly. No, I was going to tell you, I, I did a lot of armed forces entertainment tours. Uh, oh, awesome. Been, you know, throughout Europe, but uh, was in Afghanistan and Bagram and I remember a couple of stories where it was a coalition, right? So mm. uh, this guy from Poland were at the chow how and everybody has their weapons on. And uh, and he says, you know, Stitch, he goes, I studied Brazilian jiu-jitsu and they gave me the common effect to accept death. So if I hear the bullets coming at me, bing, 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 I say, you know what? If I'm going, I'm taking it with me, right? I said, wow, that's the mentality of these, these wars. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. guy from Croatia, he recognizes it's me and, Jake Allenberger and Amir Sadala, uh, and we take a picture and he tells the two guys, hey, look, no offense to you guys, he goes, I want to take a picture with Stitch. And he puts his arm around me, he tells him, he goes, I'm not a fighter, I'm a killer. And I think, wow, you know, that's the mentality and that's what I respect. That's why I did all these tours all the time. Yeah, yeah. We're different, we're different type of animals. Um, and I like to, I always support like the, the military fighters that then end up doing combat sports because I think there's a lot of us out there that probably could have gone that extra step if we if if we chose to do that path but then you look at the elite of the elite you've got the likes of Tim Kennedy Brian Stan but from the American side and then from the British side there's um, um, Jack Marshman uh, the hammer crazy fighter like yeah. he, he he just keeps on fighting and I still remember the, the stare down between Tim Kennedy and Michael Bispin. And being a British person, I'm always going to support Bispin. So I'm sure. always I'm always like, fucking Bispin's going to do Kennedy. But then when you see Bispin chatting shit and trying to be the big man against Tim Kennedy, I'm like, Tim Kennedy, he's been to war, actual war. He's scared death in the face. You're not going to intimidate him like that. You might beat him in the actual octagon, but in the way in yeah, things yeah. like that, you ain't going to intimidate. He's... He's not a he's not a regular human. <laughs> no, you know I, I had the privilege. One of the tours I did was with Tim Kennedy mm. and uh, Marcus Davis and you know some other UFC fighters. But I got to talk to Tim because I worked with him as a fighter number one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was the guy that would wrap his hands and and uh, and and work his cuts. Uh, but we did a tour together, and and the stuff that he told me was just phenomenal. You know, and just uh, really just different world, different gladiators. You yeah, know, he had a. a introduced me to a friend that was in the hospital for like six months and uh, he said he got stabbed in the neck he goes but you know got stabbed by the mother he goes but i don't blame her because i killed her husband and her son you know and i said oh shit you know this is the real deal 
Yeah, you know, and, and, and they're out there, you know. So you try to support them as much as possible, and and you know, understand that you guys are uh, gladiators. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a strange feeling. I'm sure you, you you're very similar, being a veteran yourself. Like it's it's difficult to accept people giving you praise for something that you signed up to do. Like. Unless you got drafted, I don't know. Did you get drafted in, or did you, you just? No, no, Air Force. No, you signed up for the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. In the army, so, you got drafted. Yeah, yeah. So you, we volunteered. It's like I'm. I, I volunteered. I didn't expect to come home and say, and have you thank me for stuff. You know, I did yeah. it because I wanted to do it, and that that's how I've always been. You know, I, I joke with my I joke with my wife all the time because she'll make me do the fucking dishes or something. I'll go, well, I'm a war hero. Why are you making me do shit like that? <laughs> Yeah, but then, but then I always like laugh and go and do it anyway. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, just like, just like me at home, I'm Jacob, right? Uh, everywhere yeah, yeah. off throughout the world, I'm stitch, but at home, I'm Jacob. You know, yeah, Jacob yeah, yeah. do this, Jacob do that. You know, exactly. So you kind of lose your credibility when you get home. Mm. So uh, you, you you mentioned you um you got a daughter. Uh, how many kids have you got, Stitch? Might add, might oh, ask. Four, two, one, two girls. Yeah, one, two, three. Four grandkids. Uh, wow. Two girls, the two girls live here in Las Vegas. The two boys live in one in California, one in Michigan. And, That's uh, California. Yeah, not, you know, California's not too far away. My geography uh, is great with America. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. something. That's something. And, and being it, Papa, Papa Stitch. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, really, I'm a family man. I, I love that. Know, I, I work on the weekends. I do a lot of traveling the fights. Monday through Thursday, I'm, I'm home. <laughs> Yeah, I'll go visit the gyms, say hi to the guys, shoot the yeah. shit with them, and that's it. It's my life. You know, I'm not, uh... Yeah, something that you've done for for a while, and it's it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Was there was there much sacrifice at the start, like in terms of family? Yes, yeah, economically, of course. You know, I uh, I, I made the move. Well, my my whole family supported me throughout going up. Opening up a school kickboxing with a credit card was <laughs> yeah, the yeah. stupidest thing I ever did, but the most uh, successful thing I ever did. Cause I got yeah, it's one of those. It's catch-22, isn't it? It's probably the stupidest yeah. thing at the yeah. time, and then eventually it took off. And Yeah, you know, and I, I made the move from California to Las Vegas, Las Vegas being the boxing capital of the world, uh, 28 years ago. And I took a job transfer with R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company and took like a $25,000 a year cut in pay. And I had two weeks to do it. I, I, uh, they called me and said that there was an opening in Vegas. I had to be there in a week, and I couldn't do it in a week. It was impossible. So I talked. They talked to me for two weeks, and in two weeks, I transferred my school of kickboxing to one of my students, sold my house, put my family in a U-Haul, and drove nine hours to Las Vegas, and took a twenty-five thousand dollar year cut in pay. So wow. Yeah, it, it hurt a little bit. My brother lived there, and uh, he came by the house one time, and my wife was crying, and. He thought we got in a fight, but it's just we couldn't pay the rent for that month. And uh, I remember he gave me $2,000. And from there, I paid him back royally and never looked back. You know, So that was that boost that I needed yeah, yeah. for my brother to cross that hurdle. Yeah. And, and things have been blessed. Blessed since. I knew that was going to cut out. Hello. You're at the adverts. So don't turn off. Don't turn off because I've got some good stuff for you. First up. Going to talk about our sponsors. Kent CBD is our first sponsor. Now, CBD oil, as you know, has tremendous benefits, especially within mental health and physical health. Personally, 
I use it to help with my anxiety and my depression. But not only that, I also use it to help with the aches and pains of life in my joints, especially my ankles and my knees. Um, but yeah, without CBD oil, I would have still been on my antidepressant tablets, which I'm no longer on. So, you know, every cloud. And what we're going to do here at Granite Zero is we're going to give you 10% off everything from oil, muscle rub, jellies, bath salts, the lot. Yeah? Make sure you get in there. www.kentcbd.org. Put in the promo code Granite Zero and get yourself 10% off. You are welcome. But also, if you're like me and you love a nice cup of coffee, now, for me, I only drink one coffee, and that's Green Beret coffee. Now, I don't only drink it because it's out of this world fucking coffee, roast to order, grinded to whatever specific grind you want. But not only that, it's veteran-owned and veteran-run, which, you know, hits me right in the feels. So make sure you check it out, Green Beret Coffee. Get yourself a nice cup of coffee. I drink it dark, just like my soul. Incredible stuff, incredible stuff. And what I'm going to give for you, I'm going to give you 10% off. So once you get to the checkout, once you've got all your coffee, your products, your apparel, whatever you need, get to the checkout and put in the promo code GZPODCAST. 10 and get yourself 10% off courtesy of the Granite Zero podcast. You are welcome. Now, that's enough of me talking about this stuff. Back to the regular scheduled show. Check it out. And we're back. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. I was like, I haven't, nah. I haven't checked the timer and then it just went dead. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Always away. Finish the story now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I think we just got to the bit where you um, you said that you were you were blessed after after your uh, brother helped you out, which you know that's a huge thing. You know, family family first. I always say. Yeah, hundred percent. Everything I do is for my family. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah, you know, I think the only jewelry I have is my wedding ring. You know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, I'm not into. I'm not into the fancy stuff or anything like but, that. Very similar. I literally have uh, the wedding ring from, from the wife and I've got a gold chain that was given to me by my grandmother before she passed away. So that, that's literally the only thing I wear. Like, I've still got my... I'm a rascal now. I've still got my dog tag somewhere. They're, they're in the shed somewhere. <laughs> but that's, yeah. about, that's about it. I wouldn't wear them now. I'd, 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 get, I'd get a bit of a bit of shit. So what, one, one thing I've, I've always sort of wondered, so especially during your time in, in the UFC, did you have, were you just given the fighter or did you have a, or did they say, Stitch, which fighter would you like to fight at or represent out of these two or, or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, a lot of, yeah, a lot of guys would ask me to wrap their hands. Right. Mm. Uh, but usually I, I worked with a lot of the A fighters uh, in the red corner. I think it was the red corner. So the guys that the UFC put in the red corner, I would work with them. Uh, mm. But there was times, yeah, so I would flip-flop. I mean, you know, I try to accommodate as many uh, guys as I could without hurting the feelings of other cut men. But yeah, yeah. shit, I mean, it, 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 one night to wrap six, seven fighters' hands was common. 
because these guys want me to wrap their hands all the time, right? But those those are very, very special moments for me. So it was a combination of both. You know, guys like Brock Lesnar, uh, Mirko Kroka, when they came on board in the UFC, they came in board that I would be the one that would wrap their hands about your cuts, you know? So uh, that was part of their agreement. That, that's got to be a bit of a, a bit of a boost for yourself. Like you're getting these, sure. these huge superstars saying, no, I want, I want stitch. I don't want anyone else. Yeah, That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And cause I always found it fascinating, especially in terms of the UFC, cause it's different to obviously boxing. Cause usually with the boxing, you're, you're sort of in the camp. Well, not in the camp, but say, for example, you've got Tyson Fury. You're only wrapping his hands and getting him ready. But with the UFC, surely there's because it there's a huge fight card. It's it's sort of built differently, isn't it? Like you said, you'd, yeah, you'd be doing yeah. seven or eight a night, possibly. Yeah, that was originally when when Dana White brought me in. Uh, the original cut man, Leon Tabs, was mm. there from the UFC number one, and when they bought the UFC, they brought him in as the cut man, uh, but getting Dana and Lorenzo and Frank Pertitas, the props, they realized that MMA was such a new sport and these coaches didn't know how to wrap hands, much less work cuts. So I think the best thing that Dana ever did early in his career was bring in a second cut man. And, and it got to the point where everybody wanted us to wrap their hands, yeah. uh, rightly so. Uh, yeah. So we brought in a third cut man and. And I think now they use four or five cut men per show. And uh, so, yeah, that's the program we got going. But it was good for, and now all MMA is doing it. And But mm -hmm. now when this COVID kicked in, uh, Top Rank, which, which is based here out of, out of Las Vegas, they did 32 shows in the bubble at the MGM. So they called me and Mike Basil to see if we'd be interested in being the house cut men. Okay. Kind of the same scenario that they do with the UFC. Well, we did that because I put that program together. You know, me and yeah. Burt Watson and Leon Tev, the program that the UFC has and now everybody else uses, we put that program together. Uh, so, but the COVID finished, Top Rank liked it, and they kept Mike Basil and myself on board, you know. But the same token, you know, I wrapped four, five, six guys in one hand one night. I worked, yeah, yeah. you know, their cuts because Top Rank pays us to work with them. Hmm. And, uh, but if you get a guy at a higher level, then Top Rank will pay us to work with the undercard. But let's say I work with uh, uh, Jared Anderson, the heavyweight. Well, then I'll get compensated by Top Rank, plus I'll get compensated uh, from the fighter that's making more than the average salary. Well, that, that, that's something. That's something. Is yeah. there, um, is, um, have, you ever, have you ever had a fighter approach you to, to be his cut man and, and, it, and wrap his hands and you thought, man, I really don't want to work with this person. I've heard terrible things or you've witnessed terrible things about, because obviously some fighters are very selfish and very arrogant, which, you know, to be the top that you can be, that's, that's got to be done. But have you ever got to the point where you go, I really don't want to work with that fighter or has that just never been the case? No, no, that uh, recently that uh, happened. Great kids, world champion. Uh, worked with them one fight, two fights already. But the business aspect was not very good to oh, the yeah. point where I told management, you know, your business practices suck. And for doing that, I could have worked with them with other shows, but I said, nah, I don't need it. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a business. And, you know, thank God I worked with 
RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company for 23 years in the corporate structure. So mm -hmm. I understand the business aspect. And that's the aspect that I apply uh, mm -hmm. whenever I start working with a new client. You know, yeah, of course, because obviously you're, you're a business in yourself, you're, yeah. you're Stitch. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've created a brand, but nonetheless, because I've run that same formula that people do to create product. And, uh, but you know, let's say I, I, you call me to work with you, well, we'll go over the details, how much, when am I gonna get paid? You know, when do I arrive, when do I leave, so and so. Yeah. Then you send me an agreement and it becomes a text or even an email and it yeah. becomes a are we, are we going to discuss swabs or are we going to just forget about the swabs and <laughs> yeah, depend on how much you want to get paid <laughs> that's good that's good here's one here's one that i've literally just popped into my head now like uh have you been did you follow at all the uh connor ben chris eubank jr saga that is going on no uh, it's not big, big news over here. It's not big news over there. So, obviously, it's a it, over here. This side of the pond is it was a very big thing because obviously, um, Nigel Ben and and uh, Chris Eubank Senior obviously had their rivalry throughout the years, and it was a, a very bitter rivalry. And now that's and now that's and now their sons are, try, are trying to fight, and uh, obviously. There was one thing that really stuck stuck out st stuck out. I've had too many whiskeys. Stood out in my mind was one was the hydration clause that they put in for Chris Eubank Jr., where he would obviously have to cut weight to the point and then not hydrate properly, which I thought was a was a crazy clause to put in, which I believe Chris Eubank Sr. didn't like, and obviously for, for the right reasons, because that's that's a crazy clause to put in. If he's sucking weight, you've got to hydrate. <laughs> because obviously fighters suck down, they, they lose the water weight, don't they, to, to, yeah. to get on the I, scale. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the agreement says, but logic would tell me that some associations, I think the IBF has that, where you once you make weight, you can't gain no more than yeah, yeah. say pounds. Yeah, and yeah. Beyond which, to me, it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's all water weight anyway. You know, yeah. you're not going to get mass with it. So you got, I tell you, none of us have to be certified to be considered pros in doing yeah. what we do. Exactly. So education that goes with that, right? Well, you know, you could hydrate 10 pounds worth of liquid in your system. Not yeah. that hard to do. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah so I get it. Yeah, it's, it's, good to, it's, it's good to get, like, your side of the, the thing. Because yeah. obviously, from a layman's point of view, I'm thinking... He sucked out a lot of water weight. He's going to be very dehydrated and not being able to hydrate as properly is obviously going to be less fluid on the brain, potentially. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's another, I think it's a myth that, uh, I, I did a documentary years ago called Boxers yeah, yeah. and I interviewed this one doctor and, and the whole theory that if you dehydrate to the point where you're going to lose water in your brain, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the quote that was mentioned to me was that that's impossible because you would have to, if you lost that much water in your system that it would affect your brain, you wouldn't be able to function. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. that, that makes that. makes a lot more sense. When yeah, you... because of the cranium, maybe on the outside, but mm. within the, the structure of the brain itself, to eliminate some of that liquid, 
is see what I'm it, it's it's probably it's probably those that are trying to sell the fight or or cancel the fight as it did get cancelled using a lot of bro science quite possibly saying well he's he's going to be brain dead if you fight him because he's dehydrated from his brain um yeah. but when when you when you get experts like that like like yourself you're a, you're a subject matter expert so having that sort of knowledge then passed to you you can then go well yeah that makes sense yeah well i'm not an expert at that but i have common sense you know, yeah, you're, you're you're a fight expert, Stitch. Yeah, Don't give well, me that. Well, yeah. You're a fight expert. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, I don't want to take that. Hey, I don't want to take that blame. But Stitch says no. Oh, I'm I'm doing it right. I've got with my massive platform I have. Yeah. Stitch, Stitch said, right. Yeah. So that's no, no. that's gospel. Yeah, um, logic will say. Yeah, right? but. Long long story short, the fight got cancelled anyway because um, I can't remember the drug specifically. It was a um, it was an estrogen booster, I believe. So a lot of people think he was using it as a masking agent uh, for other substances, but you know, it could it could have been it could have been anything, you know. <laughs> Well, that's that's that same point you just said right there. It could have been anything. See, mm. I don't get into all those little uh, assumptions. Yeah. Right? yeah, we don't know, bro. But 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 listen, if you dried out ten pounds and you start drinking water, and twenty four hours from now you're gonna feel fine. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and I, I was uh, I was explaining it to my brother in law. In fact, he was saying he was like. Because he said the same, like, oh, he had no fluid on his brain. He, he, his dad was saying he would die if he fought and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, if you take someone like, well, I, I use the example of George St. Pierre. I'm like, he walked around at like nearly 200 pounds. He cut weight to, seven, to 175. He then rehydrated. So he was like 190. I went, do you know what I mean? He's, he's not like gone, I'm going, I'm eating everything, I'm taking all these supplements. He's rehydrated himself and his body's gone, I'm going to take all these vitamins and minerals and it's mad. It's like, yeah, he gained a lot of weight in that time, but it's not like it's... Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a science, no doubt. And wrestlers are good at it. They're better yeah. at it than boxers. Yeah, I, I went to Japan with uh, Frank Trigg uh, he lost 18 pounds in one day, bro. Jesus and Christ! To the, to the point where he just he just laying there and, and he's a slug and that's craziness. But the, yeah. the the part that's hard is he ended up winning the fight the next yeah. day, you know. So that you know that just continues that process. But I guess you know through long long term, you know your kidney damage, your liver yeah, damage, and definitely. you know just from dehydrating itself and and taking yeah. those. I remember, I remember myself as a, as a sort of personal note, when I was going through some, I, I did boxing for the Air Force. I boxed for the Air Force. And uh, I remember I had to, I, I turned up to, you could, you could call it fight camp. And I was way overweight. I was not where I should have been, Stitch. I was nowhere near. And they were like, you've got to, you've got to put the fucking effort in. And I was like, okay. And I literally, my meals were, I had an apple for like breakfast an apple for lunch and for dinner, I could probably have 
some chicken and some rice. And then it was, I was training four times a day. I was in the sauna. I had the fucking sweatsuits on. I went from, I'm going to use kilos now just to confuse you. I went from, I think it was 83 kilos to 75.1 in three days. And I, and I was, <laughs> it was, it was a big weight cut. And I remember getting ready to go to this uh, boxing tournament. And I was like, I'm, I'm fucked. If we get to this tournament, I'm, I'm not going to win any fights. There's no chance. They were like, why not? And I went, I've got no energy. It's gone. And there's no, in, in amateur boxing, there's no chance for me to then rehydrate and, and get, because if I win that fight, I've got to weigh in the next day yeah. for the next fight. And I was like, it's not going to happen. And then they fast forward me to probably a year later after I've been on deployment, I came back and they went, Tomo, are you on, you fight ready? And I was like, nope. And they went, doesn't matter. You're fighting in, in Manchester. You've got to, you've got to fight against a bloke in the uh, Olympic gym. I was like, okay, what weight? And they went light heavyweight. And I was like, I'm five foot six. Why are you, why are you putting me up against a light heavyweight? that's going to be a, at least six foot two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a mismatch. Yeah. I lost that fight. <laughs> and again yeah. going back to how we were at the at the beginning it was the loneliest place i've ever felt yeah. when i lost that fight so i was i was heartbroken oh i can imagine yeah <clears throat> yeah so even even at amateur level then you put that up against someone like anthony joshua that's fighting in front of ninety thousand people yeah. especially against the last fight against uh, alexander usik and he was like I can kind of see why his brain sort of mangled and he went a bit off the rails. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a shocker, especially being at home for him. You mm. know, and that's, you know, like I say, deep inside, all these guys are babies, man. And, and Big babies. Know, yeah, big babies. You know, you got to understand that you got to work with them on that, you know, and, and cover their back one way or the other. How, how did you find doing the Hollywood movies. I've got to ask this because I'm a big fan of the Creed movies and Balboa, especially. Yeah, I, uh, I've been blessed. You know, I like my seventh movie. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've done three movies where Rocky, you know, I'm, I'm not even an actor, right? So I did yeah, Balboa, yeah. last fight. I was uh, the cut man for Antonio Tarver, Mason the Line Dixon. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did uh, Creed 1, Creed 2 with Stallone. And uh, Forest Creek three with Mike, uh, so I've done three with Michael, three with Stallone, uh, Woody Harrelson, Antonio Banderas. I did my first one was playing to the bone. Then I did Ocean's Eleven when uh, Lennox Lewis fought Vladimir Klitschko when they robbed, yeah. robbed the casino. But right after that, I started working on Vladimir, right? And then I did an MMA movie with Kevin James and here comes somehow, the boom. Here comes the boom, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. I, uh, I'll tell you a little story behind Here Comes the Boom. So in, in movies, when you have lines, you get what they call residuals. And mm -hmm. the residuals, when they'll show it to the theater, you get a percentage, XXX. And I just got a couple of checks from Here Comes the Boom, and that's been 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, I didn't have no lines. And I said, now nah, I'm going to have to figure something out. <laughs> when, yeah. when it was time for us to do our scene, Kevin James pulls me aside and he says, Stitch, we got to have you say something. So I'm playing the dumb part. And I said, well, you know, I always tell the guys, welcome to the UFC. Oh, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. So they call me in. He 
I'm working on them all stitch. Big fan, can't believe you're working on me. And I'm like this, I'm working on them. And finally I said, well, boom, I slap him in the face. Well, welcome to the UFC. And I'm gone. <laughs> you know, I'm slapping, right? And everybody started laughing, man. So I'm like this, there's a boom, well, welcome to the UFC. And that was my million dollar line. <laughs> That's what you want. That's what you want. You don't need all the lines in the movie. You only need one. It's fine. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Welcome to the UFC. But and the I slap was a million dollars. I have to admit, the um, obviously growing up, I was a, I was a fan of the Rocky movies. Anyway, everybody is. I don't think I don't think I've ever met anyone that's gone. I hate the Rocky movies. You can't. You can't. But especially from Rocky Balboa, because obviously Rocky Five is a bit is a bit iffy. But <laughs> you got you got Rocky Balboa, and then the the two Creed movies, and now the third coming out. It's it's brilliant. Like I watch it and I'm like, I actually feel like it's an actual fight. Like it's not, it's not them going, you, you know, like some boxing movies you see where they're hitting each other and you're like, well, you could take the early Rockies, for example, like that would have been stopped. He's been hit yeah, a yeah. lot. He's been dropped eight times in the first minute. He's like, this has got to be stopped. But the new ones, they're very realistic. And, yeah. and I think, I think the first Creed one, and especially and Rocky Balboa as well. We're having um, uh, I've forgotten his name now. Is it uh the he was a cruiserweight, wasn't he? That went up. He played Mason the Lime. I can't remember his name now. Um, oh, uh, Tony Tarver. That's the one. Uh, and then yeah. obviously you had uh Tony Bellew for for Creed. Yes. Did, did they have a bit a bit of say in 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 the terms of the boxing choreography? And and did you have anything to do with the boxing choreography? and cut man stuff. Yes, 100% on all three of us. You know, they uh, they relied on our authenticity yeah, to yeah. make it happen as, as well as it does. And, you know, with uh, the Creed movies, I really got involved, you know, especially on this Creed 3 uh, with Michael B. Jordan, because he yeah. directed it also. Uh, I'm just going to say the trailer looks fucking fabulous. It, it, the the storyline is, is it's phenomenal. I, I sent Michael a message because I was... I did my run through the gyms. I always there's like four or five gyms I'll go visit and just kind of shoot the shit with everybody. And and everybody came up to me and seen the trailer and they all reacted. So I sent Michael a message and I said, look, man, you're in Las Vegas. The trailer's already a hit. You know, congratulations. Mm. And uh, the the <clears throat> the response has been like phenomenal. And the stories are gonna be pretty awesome, man. You're gonna you're gonna love it. Jonathan Majors, uh, he's the new bad guy. He just signed a seven movie deal with Marvel. Uh, Marvel. Yes, he, so, he's um yeah he's he's Kang. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive geek, by the way. Are you really? <laughs> anyway, really? I didn't know who Jonathan Majors was right, mm. uh, and so I'm wrapping his hands and 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 just like you said earlier, I I like talking to the guys when I'm wrapping them and they ain't saying nothing to me, you know, and I'm not used to that, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So finally, at the end, he wants to get up and leave. I said, no, no, no. We always tap and we always hug, right? Uh, so we did. But then I realized later, I said, man, what a jerk, man. He's just an asshole. But he was in character. And right. I've never yeah. seen that before. And from there on, I showed nothing respect to him. And That and makes same, sense. That makes sense, yeah. He was in character. And, you know, at the end, he's telling me he loves me, gives me a hug, wants me to sign the gloves that I wrapped his hands with. And, and yeah. uh and we became friends, you know, but yeah, tremendous, tremendous guy, man. 
So he's going to be he's going to be a good villain. It, it looks good, and I got a lot of um, Rocky Three vibes from it. Clubber Lang, he seems very very similar. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and like I, I literally watched uh, Creed One and Creed Two literally two weeks ago yeah. because. I, I think they're fucking brilliant. That and and my my all time favorite boxing movie is Southpaw. I don't know if you're a part of Southpaw. Southpaw. Yeah, with um yes. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, yes, and uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. So you you're talking about authenticity. Let me bring Southpaw up, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Because yeah. I, I love because I love that movie. You yeah, bring yeah, up okay. you bring but it up. I, you you can kill my dreams if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> That's all. All right. So so. Forrest Whitaker is one of these cut men that I was talking about. Mm. So in the movie, the cut is right here, right? Yeah. And yeah. as you see, when he's working on the cut, he's putting the swab up here. So he's missing it by about an inch. Yes. Right? But, and guys like us, we look at those little details. See, so, right. You, you, you do exactly what I do when, I, when I'm watching war movies. Yeah. But you're obviously watching a boxing movie and you're like, well, he's done that wrong. Yeah. He's, yeah. Done, he's doing that wrong. I'm sure if you went back and watched the original Rockies, you'd be like, well, he's, he's, he's fucked Rocky right up here. He needs to sort him out. <laughs> I, told, I, told, I, told, I told Stallone, I said, you know, Sly, you know how many times I have had to dispel that myth of company Mick? Oh, the, the company Mick. Yes. Yeah. I, I said, that's, it, it, it would never, never happen. Number one, with the eye is closed shut, the referee's going to stop the fight. All you, right. Because you... They sort of bring a similar thing in in Creed One, and you I'll, tap I'll, and you and you tap him I'll, on the head. I'll, I'll tell you about that one when I finish this one. All right. So, but I tell Stallone, I said, look, you know that's a big myth. Number one, he can't see, so he's at a disadvantage, and that's when they stop a fight. But yeah. if you want to cut it, cut me, Mick. Number one, we're not surgeons. Number two, you would be doing it in a filthy, unsanitized place. And number three. It would be another negative because now you're getting They're bleeding, blood, blood everywhere. Yeah, so so that's a myth. But it was great. Cut me, Mick. Hey, so, it's great. It was great in the seventies. We'll let him have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so listen, let me now let me go fast forward with Creed. Yeah. So yeah. Ryan Coogler, the the director, young director, it wasn't even in the script. He said, "Stitch, what do you think about this?" Yeah, let's do it. I love it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're watching the movie at the premiere. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and all these celebrities that are in front of me and all that, they all stand up and start clapping. Yeah, that was that Rocky scene, right? So it was okay. You know, that's that's part of Hollywood. But in reality, it uh, I, I wouldn't let it happen. If they got no, I was going to say, I was going to say, because obviously as a cut man, you're, you're, you're for the fighter. As, yeah. much, as much as you want them to carry on fighting, you're not going to put him in, in, in risk. Right, 100%. And here's, yeah. here's the big question for you, because it came up on, on this is way back when Creed first came out. So when uh, Michael B. Jordan gets knocked down by Tony Bellew, they said that actually happened and he actually knocked him out. He heard him. Did that? Did, is that genuine? Yeah. Well, fucking hell, Tony. It's a, it's a it's a fucking movie. What are you doing? <laughs> no, but, no, 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 they, it no but he, he did say. So, to be fair, Jordan B. Uh, Jordan Michael B. Jordan did say he went. 
I wanted it to be as real as possible, so I've thrown yeah. the thrown yeah. the 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 lazy fucking hook out, and he's come over and he's hit me, and I was gone. Yeah, and then, and then you see him like get hit, and he's down. And it's like, is that fucking real? He's like, he fucking is real. He's out. <laughs> Do I get in the ring or what? Everyone must have been like, what's just what's what's happened here? This is madness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tony's a great guy, man. I love Tony, and and uh, he did a good job on this one, also. You know, yeah, so. I, I'm I'm a huge fan of of, of Tony Bellew, and I was yeah. I was actually I I was rooting for him, but I was actually sort of scared for him when he when he fought Alexander in in uh, in the heavyweight division. I was like, yeah. as much as I love you, Tony, I don't. Uh, that man is not. He's not of this world. I don't think. <laughs> you, you know, and that's I said this years ago. There's uh, ex-Soviet fighters, uh, mm. MMA and boxing. I, I said that years ago. They're going to take over the game. These guys were meant to fight. You know? Yeah, that that, especially those that have, have fought sort of Russian supremacy and things like that. Yeah, the, the likes of the Ukrainians, Vladimir and and Vitali and and Yusek and Lomachenko and and who and what and whatnot. You're like. You've got the strength of of the Russian people, but you've also you, you're also fighting against them. It's like you you're you guys aren't your. It's a bit like how we said about uh, the military being those that uh, uh, are different from the gladiators that you could have. That those guys are unreal. Like even down to the people like like Habib. Nurmagomedov. As much as I, I don't like his style of fighting, because I'm 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 an action sort of guy, and he's a, and he's a wrestler, yeah. and but also you're a wrestler that then smashes people into the cage and then says you need to quit. That's mad. You're fighting the best of the best, and you're smashing him into the cage, telling him he needs to quit because he needs it more. It's it. He wrestled bears. Who wrestles bears? They're, they're not they're they're different they're different breeds yeah dakistan the, the fighters from dakistan when i was uh before the covid i was working with bellator the bellator and bfl fights yeah yeah, yeah, when, yeah. I, when i saw the manager for the dakistanis i knew i was going to rap four or five hands every dakistan fighter that was on that card they wanted me to rap them yeah they're, uh, they're not they're different they're different in in loads of aspects of 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 life and even even through time. So you've got what I call the great generation, obviously the, the guys and girls that fought and helped within World War II. And then your sort of generation as you came through, you got Vietnam, Korea, blah, 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 blah. Up until sort of my time, we fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, blah, blah, blah. And now, and now you've got this new generation that's built on TikTok and social media and I was winding my kids up earlier saying that you're you're the soft generation. And you look at these people that the likes of Habib and and a few others that I can't pronounce their names from Dakistan and things like that. You're like that the people that haven't got the the necessities that we've got, the phones, the access to social media. That sort of thing, you can see that they're they're built different. 
which is which is why I was trying to like say to a few people like obviously Ukraine are doing a wonderful job at at preventing what is going on with Russia but it's like if we if we got called up to go to war with Russia there's only a handful of people like myself that have been to different war zones now the rest are going to be from 18 19 year olds that are coming up now and it's like Russians and Ukrainians and Dagestanis and and whatnot, they don't give a fuck about your pronouns. <laughs> yeah, do, do, do you know what I mean? They don't care. And you know the world the world's going soft stitch at the minute. Yeah, no, yeah, you, 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 you get you get you get a few fighters that are coming up. They're going to be trained uh, in in mixed martial arts. They're going to be trained in boxing. That are going to be world champions, sure, but. You know, are they going to be as lethal and as as brutal as the likes of Habib, or even back into the eighties when you got the likes of Mike Tyson? Nah, not having it. I'm not having never it. Know. Never know. Yeah. Well, no. you never know. You never know. They might. <coughs> excuse me. They might. They might well be as 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 skillful and technical. Will will these will these new up and coming fighters have the same brutal? killer instinct as those that were brought up in the 80s 90s even back to the 70s i don't know i don't know stitch i don't know yeah yeah no you still got a lot a lot of places that are above the 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 comfortable living standards so you know you're always going to have gladiator if they don't come out of russia they'll come out of somewhere else you know yeah i'll tell you I'll i'll tell you a story stitch so when i served out in afghanistan we uh, met up with some locals and they they turned to me, be, being someone who, as I said, was five foot six. I'm, I'm quite a stocky guy. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm quite a stocky guy. I'm quite well built. I always have been. And uh, this, this young lad, he's uh, an Afghani sort of native. He was no bigger than, I would probably say, about 135 pounds, if that. And he turns to me and he says, you wrestle? And I was like, no, nah, because British, we, we don't wrestle. And I was like, no, nah, we nah, not really. I went, but I'll, I'll fight you. And, and he was like, cool. I went, all right. So I gave my rifle to one of my oppos, took my body armor off, because what do I need that for? And we stood there and I gave him the biggest double leg takedown you'd ever see. It, it, I smashed him to the floor. And, it, and I got up and I was like, yeah, f- f- like, fuck you. And he went, no, no, no. We don't wrestle like that. We come close. And I was like, all right. So he sort of gave me this fucking hug thing. I, I'm still confused to this day what he did. But basically what he did, he got underhooks on me, didn't he? And got the, he got the, uh, the grip in. And me being a fucking complete novice, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm fucked. And him being that close, I've never been slammed so hard by someone so small in my life. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And then when I thought about it, I was like, these kids, these like young teenagers stroke sort of coming into adulthood, all they do is work on farms and build fucking mud houses and 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 other houses with mud bricks and things like that they're constantly working with their hands constantly working with 
their body. I'm like, yes, if I had a run up on him and if he was a fist fight, I'd probably do all right. But how strong he was. I was, I was blown away by how strong this lad was. And he was, he was a little bit taller than me, but he was built. He was a bit built a bit like Sean O'Malley. He was tiny, but, but tall. And I was like, and you just slammed me and I fucking, Oh, he had me. He had me. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Just never know. <laughs> you never know. So like you said, you don't know. Like you said. And it's the old saying, isn't it? Hard like hard times build soft men and then soft times build hard men. Well whatever sort of cycle we're on, we'll we'll get back to how we were. Yeah, you know, that's uh, best around with a lot of the young guys here. And I said, man, in my young days, I'd pick a fight with every guy that looked like you. Now you put my lights out and then buy me a beer when you wake me up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the game has changed, bro. You don't have to have a... a I, know exa- I know exactly. I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah, some, so many guys look like babies. And it's, like, it's like it's like my, uh, my, my eldest daughter said, because uh, she's sort of... She's intrigued by learning how to defend herself, but also she's a girl, so she kind of feels like I don't need to know how to defend myself. And I'm not in the same aspect. I'm like, well, you need to know how to defend yourself just in case I'm not there. Um, on a side note, her rear naked choke is the vi- most vicious thing I have ever taught her. She is, she got, she wrapped my father-in-law up like a pretzel, and he was struggling, and he's he's quite a well-built bloke. And it, she, oh yeah, I'll send you the video after this. I'll send uh, you the video. It's uh, unreal, but. She was like, well, what do you do if you're in a fight? And I went, well, for a start, I went, take it from me. You don't want to use your fists as a fist. But because if, if it's not wrapped and things like that, you'll, you'll probably break your hand on someone's head if you're going to hit them. I went, you, you probably want to use like a palm strike, going full boss, boss rooting. When you want to use a palm strike or something like that. And she's like, all right. And then my wife was like, why are you teaching her this? I went, well, she said no. As a as a as a as a dad with daughters, you probably did similar things. I'm sure. Yeah, well, yeah. I was a kid at a school of kickboxing. They're they're all they're all, yeah. they're all good at what they do. Yeah, you exactly. Know, they, grew up, they grew up in the gym. Yeah, it's it's one of those that I always thought like I'm not going to teach you to go out and start a fight and have right. a fight because I've done that as a as a as a ma- as a young man as a as a teen and. It's probably the worst mistakes I ever made was having street fights. It was, when you look back on it, it's stupid. Yeah. At the yeah. time, you think it's probably the best thing it's ever done. I, I'm not the fucking shit out of that bloke. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. When you look back on it now, you're like, I was an idiot. What, what was I doing? So I was like, I'll teach her how to defend herself if she needs to. I'm not teaching her how to go and start a fight with someone. Definitely not. Yeah, when I had my uh, school of kickboxing, our motto was, uh, we'll show you how to fight, so you don't have to. So if, exactly. you know what you, if you know what you're doing, your confidence level goes up. Yeah. Your techniques, you know, so there's no need for you. And, to and it's, it's, a, it's a very easy way to de-escalate a situation. Yeah. If, you know, if you know how to fight, you know, well, if it goes to the fight, I know what to do. But at the minute, I'm going to de-escalate what's happening because there's no yeah. need. Yeah, like you said, at, at the end of the day, win or lose in a street fight, you're gonna hurt. 
somewhere. So you someone's going to hurt. Yeah. If you're not scraped, you're. you're, I've, you're I've said it to her like loads of times. She's like, I even look at my hands now and I'm like, I'm not like a professional fighter by any means, but I've been through a few street fights, a few fist fights, and I've hit some fucking walls through anger. I've punched through a door like an idiot. And she's like, but dad, you've got the really like, you've got a lot of scars on your hands. I'm like, yeah, but that's not a good thing. I went, that's me being a fucking idiot. <laughs> good for you. I went, if, if I wanted to like big up what I'm, what I did as a, as a youth, I went, I'd be a complete fucking fool. I went, yeah. Because I was an idiot. I went, I was a horny rampaging teenager when I was back home where I came from. I went, if I wasn't fucking, I was trying to fight someone, which was an idiotic thing to do. Yeah. I joined the military and I thought I was a fucking hard man. So I tried to fight everyone. Stupid thing to do. I got yeah. married. Had you. And life changed. Sure. I went, I've made mistakes. So you don't have to make those mistakes. I'll teach you how to defend yourself. I know a few techniques, etc., etc. I went, but I'm not going to teach you to beat fuck out of someone and then laugh. I went, because that's ridiculous. Yeah, there's no need for all that. Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, my man Stitch, we've got less than a minute on this timer. All right. Well, man, good talking to you. And I'm not going to take any more of your time. All right. Even though I could literally talk to you for days, I think. I think we could literally talk for days. But I don't want this to cut out. No problem at all. So what's happened is Zoom is finished and it's down to me to finish up the podcast. Stitch has got to do what he's got to do. And all I was going to say was what an absolute legend. What an absolute true fucking legend to have on the show. And Stitch is a fucking brilliant man. And I'm so honoured and privileged to have him on, which is what I wanted to say to him. But I think he understands that, you know, he's been on and done fucking Hollywood movies and been on countless podcasts. So for him to come down here and, and zoom me as a small podcast, you know, fucking brilliant. Um, But on a side note, the game is on. The game is on. It'll be Granite Zero versus Sands United on the 2nd of July next year. Uh, FC Granite Zero will be representing Rock to Recovery and Sands will be obviously representing Sands. Two charities very close to both our hearts, you know, Rock to Recovery being a military and blue light charity or cause. And Sands being what they do best, you know, looking after those that have lost loved ones within seconds of giving birth or even being stillborn. You know, it's a pain that I've never had to feel and I never want to feel. And I feel for those that have had to go through that. So, yeah, it's going to be a great game. You can get the... uh, Tickets from the links that I have posted on FC Granite Zero and on Granite Zero. So please check it out. And yeah, 
thanks again, everybody, for listening. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been able to record and having such a legend that is Stitch Duran on my show has really taken me back a little bit. You know, the man's been in Hollywood movies. He's helped some of the best and the elite athletes out there from Tyson Fury to Vladimir Klitschko. The list goes on. Anderson Silva, you know, Frankie Edgar, TJ Dillashaw. You know, the list can go on and on. I could go on for days, I think. But, you know, it's been my honour and my privilege to have Stitch on. And what a gentleman. What a gentleman. And for you, the guys that are listening, thank you very much for listening. I'm Tomo, and this has been the Granite Zero Podcast, and we're out. Thank you.